This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 240, flashback to Amazing Spider-Man in 1997. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is Adam Chapman, the host. Uh, this is episode 240. It's our flashback to Amazing Spider-Man in 1997 episode. Uh, thank you for joining us. A um, little bit of housekeeping. So, um, actually, there's no housekeeping at all. I thought I had some things to talk about, but I guess not. Uh, this week's episode, we're looking at uh, a fla- uh, kind of an interesting type of flashback. I've mentioned before on the show that. Um, Amazing Spider-Man, um, it's, you know, one of the ongoings. I'm always going to try and buy on floppy, no matter what, no matter what tastes may change, no matter what comics I might stop buying. Um, I, when I was much younger, I would have thought Amazing Spider-Man would have been the one that kind of was the last bastion of, uh, sorry, not Amazing Spider-Man, I would have thought that Uncanny X-Men would have been that one comic, but then the early uh, 2000s happened, and it was terrible, and I kind of gave up on that quickly. Um... So instead, I've realized that it's actually been Spider-Man. And it's interesting that, you know, X-Men was kind of my first major love in comics. And I mean, and in the late 90s, I think I was definitely really in the Iron Man when Kurt Busiek and uh, Sean Chen were doing it. But I also really liked Spider-Man. Um, so I remember, I think, I can't remember if, <laughs> well, this is almost ironic. I, um, I can't remember if it's, if I got Amazing Spider-Man 419. I can't remember if it was... When I had a concussion, or I just had a concussion, or if it was for my birthday, or maybe a combination of both. But I feel like it was for my birthday. Um, so that was the first kind of amazing Spider-Man comic that I got. Not ever, but where I actually decided to start buying right afterwards. Um, I had received a few amazing Spider-Man comics a few years earlier. Um, from, uh, during the Clone Saga, I got, uh, I think, Back from the Edge Part 3, which made me seek out Part 4. But I never really started buying it on a consistent basis. I bought a few issues of Marvel Tales featuring Spider-Man, I think in 93 or 94. I'd read a, a few of the Amazing Spider-Man issues of um, uh, Maximum Carnage because those were the easiest to find on the newsstand. Uh, but the, the Amazing Spider-Man 419 for me really is that, that major entry point uh, into monthly Spider-Man comics. Now, when I started buying this book, so I'm, I'm looking at Amazing Spider-Man 419 in front of me. It's uh, cover dated January 97. So obviously, it's not actually from 1997. Uh, it was. It obviously came out probably in November in '96, but I just thought for the sake of argument for talking about comics that came out in 1997 for Amazing Spider-Man, I would just go with the cover date because um, that's kind of the date on on everything. Even though we, you know, everyone knows it's not the actual on sale date, but uh, so just thought I'd, I'd kind of go through it. I think yeah, it did come out in actually on November. I think it's November the 10th. That's my or 20th. That's my feel. 596, but. Regardless, it doesn't really matter. My birthday's the end of November, so the dates line up. Don't worry. Um, so this was, again, my, my first major foray. Now, it's interesting. So I got this comic. Again, it was given to me from by a friend, and then I really enjoyed it, and I kind of read it going forwards. Now, what's interesting about this particular issue is that it looks kind of, it's, you know, it's 419, big number, uh, but it's also the first non-clone saga issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Now, as a kid, I would not have known this at all. But now, I'm like, well, that's actually kind of cool that instead of my first major issue being 418, which would have been Revelations of, what, Part 3, ending the massive clone saga, instead it was a very good, fresh start. In fact, I would say this is a fantastic comic for people 
kind of just jumping in. Like, the, I mean, people used to just pick up comics for the first time or get a comic and just start reading it. And this one feels very new reader friendly. Um, the creative team, back when they didn't put the names on the covers, uh, is uh, Tom DeFalco and Steve Scroce. I don't know how you pronounce it. S-K-R-R-O-C-E. Is it Scroce? Is it Scroce? I'm going to probably say a few different pronunciations throughout the course of this episode. Um, I've never been a huge fan of his art. Um, it's kind of weird, but at the time, I think I kind of liked it. I mean, it's very stylized for in its own way. It's At times, the faces look a little extra lumpy. Um, you know, everyone kind of looks a little strange. But I, I did kind of like his Spider-Man. Um, again, when I say new, new reader-friendly, you have... You know, a new kind of criminal boss, the Black Tarantula, moving in. You have like his uh, his underling, this kind of uh, sidekick almost. Um, I forget I forget his name. Oh, Chesbro. It's very, very of the time. Um, we have you know Peter still working for the Daily Bugle again, feeling very classic there. You have the Rose and his assassin Delilah. Um, kind of, you know, working on their own stuff. You have MJ and Peter are kind of getting over what happened in Revelations with the loss of their daughter. Um, they, it's never that overt what's going on, but like, you know that something bad has happened. Um, ben Yurik is used here. This is my first real exposure to Ben Yurik as well. Um, the Black Tarantula we see here is not the real Black Tarantula, and that will kind of be uh, an ongoing plot line for as long as Tom DeFalco is really on the book. Um, there's... Uh, on page 14 and 15, there's something I really loved there during this period when I was younger, is that there's this great shot, it's um, it's not a full uh, double page spread, it's more like a, a one and a half page spread because we have some panels on the second half of the of the second page. But it's Spider-Man swinging, through, well, not really swinging, uh, swinging through the city, but he's kind of catapulting around a building, and you see him doing the, like these jumps and flips and everything, and they don't really do this as often anymore, but they you'd see previous Spider-Mans, like you're seeing the motion, and then he would be in full color, the one closest to you as he's swinging towards you. And I loved this at the time. I mean, Mark Bagley, he used to do these, um, and, and something about the colors and how they look too, just looks fantastic. It's one of my favorite things about comics of this era that they don't really do as much anymore. It's kind of showing the, kind of the motion, um, almost flash-like. Um, because it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a you know a fun storyline. You got Spider-Man kind of coming in the middle between this supposed Black Tarantula going up against Delilah. Um, uh, ben Yurik's there as well, trying to cover a story. And the big question is, how did we know that that was even the Black Tarantula? Uh, it's fast-paced, fun action. Um, it, it was good. I actually enjoyed it quite a lot, um, and I, I still enjoy it. Again, maybe it's a little bit the nostalgia of, of youth, but. I've always loved Tom DeFalco as a writer. That's part of why I read Spider Girl for so long. Um, I'm more a fan of the kind of the writing here. The art's still good by Scorche. Again, I don't know how I'm going to pronounce that throughout the episode. Uh, I actually don't even know if I said that the whole point of this episode is a flashback to Amazing Spider-Man, uh, the actual Amazing Spider-Man title in in uh, 1997. Uh, but uh, so sorry if I didn't explain that at all. Um, the February cover uh, dated issue, we've got uh, an appearance by X-Man. Now, again, I knew uh, X-Man. I had read, I think, two issues of X-Man back in the day, or maybe at least one. I remember when I was a kid at a grocery store buying X-Man 3. Um, so I knew a little bit about the character. So it was kind of cool to see him here. And again, I'd read Onslaught, so I X-Man was in there as well. 
so then he shows up in this issue uh, where the supposed um, black tarantula really El, El, uh, El Uno uh, is on the run um, this is again written by Tom DeFalco artwork by Steve Scroce Spider-Man wishing that he could afford these boots for his wife uh, he gets um, a gig going to Washington Square Park as a supposed prophet uh, street prophet who's been kind of getting a generating a gathering which is very what was going on in uh, in X-Men comics at the time um, the Rose is celebrating Christmas and being all silly. It's a kind of a cool mental standoff between Nate Gray and Peter Parker. Um, I actually always kind of like their odd friendship. I like the idea that, um, you know, Peter's all about, you know, responsibility and he's understanding that there's this world where things were a lot more complicated and, um, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see the two actually realizing that as much as they're from very different worlds, there's actually a lot of similarities between them. Um, there's not a lot of action otherwise. I mean, you get some El Uno going up against Delilah, but really that's all you see, and it's more about Peter and Nate Gray kind of becoming friends and Nate coming over for a Christmas dinner with Aunt Anna and uh, MJ, um, and then uh, X-Men kind of giving a, a mental projection of Aunt May, which is kind of not right, but he's... Because um, he's kind of violating Peter's mind and his trust. But at the same time, it's supposed to be like a nice little holiday gift. And then El Uno, his head gets uh, sent back to the Black Tarantula and Chesbro. Uh, again, I like that this is back when subplots really happened. You have a whole plot that has nothing to do with Spider-Man at all, actually. Um, the whole Chesbro, uh, Black Tarantula, Rose, and Delilah storyline has nothing to do with Spider-Man at all. In fact, there's really very little actual Spider-Man action here. But it's still a fun little issue. Um, again, this would have come out... You know, it's, it's covered in February, so it'll come out in uh, December, so it's a nice little kind of Christmas issue, um, also developing uh, a fun relationship between uh, the two characters. Uh, cover date in March, we've got Amazing Spider-Man uh, 421. On the cover, it just says, Enter the Dragonfly. Um, and one thing I also noticed as well, I mean, this is obviously still on kind of newsprint. Uh, they haven't elevated the, um, the style of, you know, uh, the printing yet. I kind of like this though. I mean, it feels like an it feels like a comic book. Like comic books today definitely feel different. This feels lighter. Maybe it feels a little bit more disposable, but there's just something to it. Um, although it's interesting that uh, I mentioned 419. 419 is actually a direct edition. So whoever got it from me got it from a comic book store. And then when I started reading Amazing Spider-Man comics, I, at least at this point, I was buying it on the newsstand as well because these aren't direct editions at all. In fact, I believe my first direct edition of Amazing Spider-Man might be issue 400 and might be 25 might be 26 it's just interesting i was still buying a newsstand which would never do anymore um and again i what i like about this era is you've got peter working for the bugle you've got a, a, an actual supporting cast like you have this um this character what is her name angela yin uh angela yin is uh, uh working with him and then there was uh i guess her sister ends up being uh, a dragonfly who's working for the true believers. So they bring in like a new ninja cult that's basically um, an offshoot of the hand. Um, see more of the relationship between them. It's interesting. Again, the artwork by Scorche is when he's not doing human fa regular faces, he's he's better because then his faces are a little bit all scrunched up and messed up. But they also pretty good. Uh, there's actually two stories here, so the main story is a little bit short. But again, it's dragonfly versus. Um, 
this uh, this leader, one of the subsect leaders of the True Believers. And then the backup is by Tom DeFalco and Jeff Isherwood, whose artwork I do not like and never have. A horrible rendition of it, Mary Jane, too. As they decide that they're going back to school together. Um, and it also continues the main storyline. So it's not really a backup. It really is just the second half of the issue, which is interesting. They don't really do it that way anymore. It's usually just backups. Um... 422 is a personal favorite for a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, as a kid, the only real exposure to Electro I'd ever had was when I was reading the last Spider-Man chapter, uh, I think it was issue 37 or something, of Maximum Carnage. It was like the next issue started this storyline called Light the Night with Electro. That's about all I knew about it. Um, Electro didn't really make appearances on the television series, although he eventually did, but I think that actually might have been after I read this issue. Um, this particular issue, first of all, I love the cover by uh, Joe Bennett, uh, Spider-Man kind of on the ground cowering, not cowering, but he's doing his classic Spider-Man pose, but looking a little bit alarmed as, uh, someone is in the electric chair and there's kind of like blue, uh, blue, uh, electricity everywhere. This is issue 422, um, and you have Electro strapped to an electric chair and it has a, a really good kind of flashback to his life. Um, you have more of a detective kind of confronting uh, Fortunato about what's going on with the Black Tarantula coming into town. Uh, again, we continue the flashback for Electro. We have Spider-Man dealing with being uh, a student again and also having recently been bitten by Morbius, the living vampire, in uh, Peter Parker's Spider-Man 77. We are introduced to a character who ends up being one of the most frustrating and awkwardly um, written characters in this era, which is Paul Stacy. And Paul Stacy's just kind of a giant jerk. And he doesn't become any less of a jerk as they move on. Uh, Phil Yurick also makes an appearance here. Who, not really looking like Phil Yurick as we know him, but this is obviously post-Green Goblin by a few months, so he's back to just being a student. Uh, again, there's a lot of things going on here. You, you have this really good uh, flashback to Electro's uh, past and his history. You've got you know this uh, question of what's going on with the Black Tarantula coming into town. There's... Fortunato and Rose having a little bit of a tete-a-tete. Um, we have Mary Jane dealing with uh, her psychiatrist and, you know, the fact that at the end of the day she's still worried about her baby and the fact that she lost her baby and what that means. Um, we have one of the most frustrating elements now when you go back to it, which is Alison Mungrain, who is the woman who we think either killed May or caused MJ to go into labor and then killed her or took her to Norman. It was unclear at this point, and to be honest, it kind of still is. Um, she's in the GNC. She's got, uh, you know, um, a crib there. She's holding a rattle, and she's talking about it would be hard to, you know, lose you. And obviously the assumption is that this is actually related to May Parker. She's alive. Uh, instead, it would eventually somehow she wasn't talking to a baby at all, but maybe to May. Like, it's super, super stupid and confusing. Uh, we have Peter Parker helping aspirin. We've got... Some classic Joe Bennett uh, Delilah artwork, and no one does Delilah like Joe Bennett, and that doesn't sound right at all, but uh, it's true. Uh, and then basically, Electro gets um, um, you know electrified in this uh, chair, and it actually supercharges him because his powers were kind of waning and gone after Light the Night. Uh, one thing I do like about this era is certain elements. First of all, there's a lot of ads. And I love looking at older ads. I mean, th these ads are only, you know, 18 years old. I mean, I say only, but, like, that's not as old as reading a comic from, like, the 60s or 70s. Um, but it's interesting, like, they're really pumping, like, CD-ROM games. Like, there's, like, a, 
a Goosebumps game. Um, let's see. There's Mootown Snacks. Uh, let's see. We got Cookie Crisp Chocolate Chip Cereal. Um, what else we got here? Never had that in Canada. That I know of, anyway. Uh, there's like a, a short-lived... Uh, first of all, one thing I loved from this kind of the five years around this era is when Mile High Comics would have kind of their listing of what comics were worth and what you could order online. Like, it was kind of a cool thing before the internet made it easier uh, to kind of be able to get a complete... You could actually get a complete listing, a 112-page catalog, if you sent them two bucks. Kind of kind of cool. Um, and again, we have um, Black, uh, Black Tarantula deciding that he was going to, that there's some sort of connection between him and Joe Robinson, which I don't know if it was ever really followed up on, but uh, he sends a kill order. Um, there's a bullpen bulletin, which I used to like, which you had like an editorial profile. They were talking about a comic uh, that's coming up. Um, in fact, okay, so if you look at this, there's Thunderbolts number one. So they're advertising Thunderbolts number one that would have come out February 19th, 997. Which, uh, incidentally, I believe would have been the same week as this comic, or around the same time. Anyways, and it's just interesting to read it. It says, Not since the introduction of the Fantastic Four has such a groundbreaking team book been unleashed upon an unsuspecting public. A brand new group of superheroes burst around upon the world in a blazing new series next week. Oh, sorry. So I guess this came out on the 12th. Uh, when the Thunderbolts appear to defend the helpless Earth in the aftermath of Onslaught. All eyes are upon them as they take on first the Rat Pack and then the Deadly Wrecking Crew in Thunderbolts number one. And it isn't long before this gang of super-powered Good Samaritans rapidly become the idols of a hero-starved world. The Thunderbolts are a formidable and colorful group, with powers as diverse as their appearances. There's the mysterious leader, Citizen V, the sound-bending vixen, Songbird, the dive-bombing Mach 1, the fiery meteorite, the larger-than-life Atlas, and the fully-wired Techno. Created by Kurt Busiek, the man who brought you the acclaimed Marvels and can be found every month over in our ever-popular Untold Tales of Spider-Man series, the Thunderbolts also features the awesome art of Mark Bagley, late of Amazing Spider-Man. This series is the one to watch in 1997 and, and offers one of the most original, most action-packed storylines in the Marvel Universe. Now, at the time, it seemed a giant cra uh, crap load of hyperbole. Like, I'm sure it's not going to be pushing any boundaries. It obviously ended up being a game changer. Like, that first page reveal is still a fantastic reveal that you don't see coming. If you pick that up and you have never read anything about Thunderbolts before and you get to the end, you're like, what? Uh, but it's interesting to read that. There's no hint of that, which is really impressive. Um, I also just like looking at these checklists to see what's coming out at the time. So you had Hulk 452 back during the Peter David era, and who was joined by Mike Diodato Jr. in art. Uh, Iron Man 6, so this is back during... Um, Here's Your Born, uh, with Jim Lee, Scott Lobdell, and Wills Potashio. Punisher 18, by John Ostrander and Tom Lyle. Thunderbolts number one, like we just mentioned. Uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man 79, by Howard Mackey and John Romita Jr., which I loved uh, Romita Jr.'s artwork during this particular era of uh, Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Uh, there's the Spider-Man Dead, Dead Man's Hand one-shot by Roger Stern and Derek Robertson. Excalibur 108, by Ben Robb and Salvador LaRocca. Uh, Dragons of the Crimson Dawn. I don't even remember that storyline at all. Uh, you got a what if uh, Magneto's daughter Anya hadn't died in the evil fire of her father's creation. I don't know if her father created an evil fire. I get what they're saying, but really, I don't think that's really fair. Um, that's by Chris Wozniak. X-Men 26, uh, which is by Terry Cavanaugh and Roger Cruz. X-Men 63, I rem remember this one. Sebastian Shaw, the recently realigned Winter Circle, gains an, an ally and sets out to kick some mutant butt. 
that is one hell of a, of a description of an issue by um, Scott LaBelle and Carlos Pacheco. And then Star Trek, Starfleet Academy. Oh, yeah. And then also on Marvel Online, there was the Spider-Man Cyber Comic number 32 by people you've never heard of. John Lewandowski, Nikia Lam, and Mark Badger. It's really interesting to me. Um, so that, that, that's, that's this particular issue. Again, I always liked it because I really liked the focus on Electro and what happened at the end. And then, again, this has a two-page letters page, which is really cool as well because, again, that's not really around anymore. Um, and then there's also a preview of uh, Incredible Hulk with Adam Kubert. As he, I guess he was uh, going to be starting in issue 454. So for years, this was all I remember ever seeing of this era of, spy, of uh, Hulk, um, which is where he's kind of like very savage and ruling some indigenous people, I guess. And then he goes up against Hulk at some point, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, because I think Hulk tries to stab him and he's just using bone. Very cool stuff. And in the last page is uh, an advertisement at the time for Kazar number one. It was coming on sale in March. Um, and it's interesting, too. You can go to marvelonline.com or AOL at keyword Marvel. Um, and it was, you can take the man out of the jungle, but can you take the jungle out of the man? By Mark Wade and Andy Cooper. And I love that comic. And if you're a fan of Heroclix, the Thanos 100 point version is basically from that run of, of uh, Kazar. Uh, next up is uh, Amazing Spider Man 423. Joe Bennett, I believe, continues in this issue. Um, and I really liked his art. I thought he was just such a crisp style. Um, the artwork was fantastic. DeFalco's still writing it. It's really cool to see um, Electro all powered up, really kind of con- overly confident and ready to go. And really wanted to go up against um, Spider-Man and, and anyone, really, to crush uh, whoever the Rose wants him to. Dragonfly, at this point, still working for the True Believers, more or less. Um, obviously, the Joe Robertson is the, the upcoming target. Paul Stacey gets a kind of a redefined look, as now he has a goatee, which only makes him a little bit more of a douchebag. Uh, we have Peter Parker trying to assist um, and, and be a t- uh, tutor for someone else. Um, and again, I, I love P- um, the take on the characters. Uh, even the newsroom, although there's the woman on her desk doing her makeup with her legs on the desk. I don't really feel, feel like that's a, a real newsroom idea, but it's just nice to kind of see the Daily Bugle humming around. you got Ben Urich. Um, you have Dragonfly kind of meeting Robertson and, and, and going after him. Uh, again, the but the the breasts in this woman are insane. Like at times, Bennett really needs to rein in the cleavage, and like the fact that she's like jumping around the rooftops in like a in like a skin tight uh, outfit, but with like these giant knockers, just like kind of just knocking around. And this weird, and this happened a lot in the in the, in the mid nineties. This weird slit in her costume that starts, I guess, around her navel, and then just builds upwards to where the breasts are. And I'm just like, no one would wear this. No one who's a professional ninja who's jumping around New York would be wearing this when their breasts are just, like, flopping around. You'd want, a li- want it to be a little bit better. Now, Spider-Man at this point is also not feeling so good because he's had some issues. He's had a headache. He's having ulcers. Again, classic Spider-Man stuff. He goes to protect uh, Robertson from Dragonfly and the rest of the True Believers. When in comes uh, Electro, and he's super powerful. Again, the artwork is awesome. He just easily takes out the ninja's and uh, then is able to knock out um, Dragonfly. Uh, Robertson, at this point, really putting his career forward and isn't always being that careful, so he's trying to get Dragonfly to give him uh, answers about Black Tarantula. Uh, Spider-Man tries to take out Electro. He's really unable to do it, and this was kind of a cool moment. Again, when I was, you know, 
what, 13 years old reading this, and Spider-Man, like, loses, and uh, Electro forces him to kind of beg for his life, and then Electro just kind of takes off. And then, um, you know, Spider-Man is, is you know, there's, it gets kind of a, a lesson from uh, Robertson, the fact that, yeah, sometimes there's hard decisions you have to make. Um, now, let's see. Then the next particular issue, or not issue, but... Um, there's a an ad here at the end of the uh, of the issue for the second wave of Amalgam Comics, which was one name, one universe, one more time. It was advertising Lobo the Duck, number one, Thorian of the New Asgods, number one, and Dark, the Dark Claw Adventures, number one. Uh, I actually really liked the, the Amalgam books. I thought they were fun, and I mean, obviously they were kind of silly, but I don't know. At the time, although at the time again, when they first came out, I didn't know that it wasn't a real comic company. <laughs> I was I was one of those stupid kids. I was like 12, 12 years old. Give me a break. I didn't really know. I just thought it was really cool. And like all these characters kind of looked like characters I knew but didn't. Yeah, I guess I was kind of a stupid kid. Um, so you get this great kind of ending to 423 where Electro is super powerful. Spider-Man just got majorly humbled and had to beg for his life in order to survive. But at least he survived. And then we move on to the next issue. And it has nothing to do with that. Because suddenly we have Electro coming in instead. But this is kind of the... The sexy, heroic version of Elektra, uh, who previous to this, I guess, had... Actually, no, I don't think she had shown up yet in uh, in um, in Wolverine. Um, but she was she was getting there. Uh, Tom DeFalco, Joe Bennett, like the first page... Well, not the first page. The first page is Spider-Man on it. Very classic kind of, oh no, I missed my next web line because I'm so distracted by my surprise headache. Like, very of the time. Like, they wouldn't really bother with this type of stuff anymore. But this is what made Spider-Man comics Spider-Man comics. Like, he's... Swinging around, and he's got a bad headache, and then he misses a line, and then they spend like an entire page with him trying to do everything he can to to figure out a way to survive. And and he's you know he's been through so much since he got bit by Morbius, and then he lost to Electro, and now he's really pissed off and frustrated about it. Like it's, it's really cool. Um, the True Believers have been targeting uh, uh, obviously Robertson, so we have more about Dragonfly. We have a fl- um, an advertisement about the upcoming uh, flashback. Uh, series of comics, which would have, I guess, been, the, I believe, the following month. Um, and, again, as a kid, like, I remember, I guess, around this time, I was about to start buying, um, you know, old comics on a regular basis at, at an actual comic book store, but I remember kind of reading the flashback thing and being like, eh, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, because nowadays I've gone back and I've, I've read them all. In fact, if you go back to uh, the episode that I put up on August 9th, uh, episode 190, it's... Um, uh, a flashback to Marvel's flashback, and I talk about a bunch of these uh, flashback issues. I don't know if I necessarily talk about the Amazing Spider-Man one. They were all minus one issues, and it was kind of giving you a, a better glimpse into the history uh, for some of these characters. Uh, but I remember at the time kind of being like, oh, well, it's not issue 425? I don't need it. Um, even as a kid, I was a bit of a stickler. Uh, and again, very classic stuff with, like, you know, at this point, Anna's starting to think that something's wrong with Peter and that maybe he's cheating on MJ. Um... We have Electra going after the Rose, and I, they never really showed a fight between Electra and um, and Delilah, but that would have been pretty cool. But really, it's about kind of Electra doing her thing uh, again. Talking about um, uh, ads, you have a Heroes for Hire pick up the power in May, Colin the Higher Power uh, by I guess Roger Stern, John Ostrander, and Pascal Ferry. That was about to launch at the moment. Which, if you look at like just the the ad, I mean, I like these kind of ads. Uh, with new comics, you have Black Knight, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Hercules, I think White Tiger. Like I don't even know who that character is. 
and the Hulk. What an eclectic group. Uh, Dragonfly is being hunted by the true believers because she's been branded as a traitor. Um, Spider-Man, you know, finds Elektra. Um, ends up being kind of a, a interesting fight with uh, Elektra and Spider-Man versus the true believers. And obviously Spider-Man is dealing with uh, his recent defeat at the hand of Elektra. So he's really like kind of sick of losing and all this stuff. So there's just a moment where like he picks up like a subway car and threatens a true believer with it, which is kind of crazy. Um, the artwork I do feel it gets a little bit more toned down by Bennett in this artwork in this storyline, but very cool. And uh, and here we get the idea that Black Tarantula is on his way soon. He's not going to be content to be out of town anymore. He's going to start coming closer. He's gonna he's gonna you know he can't mess around anymore. And then so then you jump ahead. That was June '97. We jumped ahead to August '97. As 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 I said. Uh, you had the flashback issues. Now, when they came back from the flashback issues, every comic looked different and felt different. Um, every comic uh, was now uh, had a gatefold cover, which on the interior gatefold, you had a page explaining who Spider-Man is, uh, all of the supporting cast that actually show up in that comic, and then a brief previously. And I uh, always thought that this was awesome. And I know that they have kind of those one-page text pages now, but I would so rather it be more in this style where... You have like a little breakdown of who the characters are and also a brief description of what happened last issue plus showing us panels from the last couple issues. I always thought that was really cool. Um, and again, it was, and it was on the cover, it just it looks different. It has the World's Greatest Comics banner at the top. At the bottom it just says, Featuring your new guide to the Marvel Universe. We now have the creators listed on the cover. Um, I always thought it was cool. And this issue in particular is, uh, as I said, an open gatefold, but there's also a cover that goes from uh, back to front. Um, unfortunately, Joe Bennett is gone, and now we have uh, Steve Scroach has been welcomed back. He's uh, it says and a big welcome back to superstar Steve Scroach, and I'm like, eh, I kind of really enjoyed Bennett. Um, but this is a really good like kind of exercise issue. We have Spider-Man really kind of obsessing about Electro, uh, Mary Jane being worried about it. Unfortunately, Electro looks like a little punk here. Whereas he's so much more formidable in 422 and 423. He looked like a badass here. He just looks extra skinny. Um, Spider-Man's trying to come up with a way to kind of go up against Electro. Um, you know, he ends up coming up with like a, a new suit um, that's insulated. He has X-Men team up with him. Um, really cool stuff. Although, again, the art never really is able to support it. Um, and they're able to kind of take out Electro. And I guess dump him in the drink at the end of the day, and there's a big explosion. But obviously he's fine. Um, but at the time, you know, very very cool stuff. Now at the end of the issue, this is what's interesting: is that we find out that um, uh, a body has been stolen by the True Believers, and uh, Doctor, well, Lady Octopus or Doctor Octopus Two at the time is really pissed off about it. And this starts again something I really enjoyed about this period: is you then have a storyline leading up to the resurrection of Dr. Octopus. So obviously Tom DeFalco, I believe was still editor-in-chief when they killed off Doc Ock, never really liked it. So this was a way for them to bring him back. So it starts off with Spider-Man kind of worried and, and freaked out that, that Dr. Octopus would come back, especially because he knew who he was when he died. Uh, the Rose and the True Believers have uh, stolen the body of Dr. Octopus. Here we get the, the true... Um, history behind who Stunner really is and to be honest I think Stunner had just kind of been forgotten so it was nice to kind of see Stunner return um, although they kind of go a little bit crazy in this period with like virtual reality photon construct type of ideas uh, which is basically what they're doing here that um, this woman Angelina um, what's her last name I don't even know what it is 
Angelini Brancao. Um, she is hooked up to this machine that creates the center interface that I guess Otto had created for her um, because that's what made her feel better about herself. Um, Delilah and Stunner go up against... Oh, sorry, not Delilah and Stunner. Uh, Dr. Octopus and Stunner go up against the True Believers. Spider-Man obviously is able there to kind of crash the party. Um, talking about um, things that were going on in terms of launching new comics during this period, which is interesting because I think this is around the period when the bankruptcy was happening. There's a nice um, one-page ad which just says Marvel Comics, and this is just the beginning. And it shows all these new number ones that were about to launch in that 97. And it's interesting that there's a really interesting crop here. You got Thunderbolts, obviously, it was just happening. Deadpool number one, which at the time was a big thing that he was getting his own ongoing, and it ended up being really big for um, what, Ed McGuinness's career. Uh, Heroes for Hire was getting the launch. That I talked about that one-page ad earlier. There's Maverick by I believe um, Jim Chung at the time, very early. Uh, Alpha Flight number one was getting a new launch with a, a kind of a weird new team. He had a few members of the old team, um, but then he had a lot of new members. Uh, KZR number one, Manthe number one, and Marvel Team Up number one. So they were still producing a lot of material at the time. Um, and what, at the end of the storyline, they basically grab Spider-Man. They're, they they chain him down, and they're going to transfer the life force from so or channel it so that Doc Ock returns and instead. Uh, Spider-Man is, is dead using his li- Spider-Man's life force. Uh, it's kind of creepy though when you kind of see the top of Otto's head, considering he's a dead corpse that you don't really want to be seeing his head. Um, at the end of the issue, again, an, a house ad for an anniversary issue. So it has an actual like border for the for the uh, one-page ad, and it says Spider-Man's greatest enemy isn't the Green Goblin; it's Norman Osborn. The spectacular Spider-Man 250. Luke Ross, Jam Demetrius. I'm interested that Luke Ross gets higher billing than Demetrius. Dan Green. Double gatefold cover by John Romita Sr. and John Romita Jr. 48 pages on sale August 27th from the House of Ideas. Now, I remember that comic, and it is fantastic. The artwork by Luke Ross is pretty amazing. Uh, at this point, we also have a redone bullpen bulletins, as it looks very different now. Um, the editorial profile is by Glenn Greenberg, who, which is interesting if you've read the Life of Riley archives, which I've recommended in the past, because he's actually the one getting the editorial profile here. Um, it's interesting, too, because like Marvel Online is obviously so young at the time, but they had a Marvel Online chat schedule for this week, where you had, uh, on, on July 10th, was writer Kurt Busiek and editor Tom Brevoort, Thunderbolts. Uh, for one hour, they were doing an online chat. And then the following week was Kathy Probe from Overpower and uh, Chris Bacallo, or Bacalo for Generation X. And then the following week was assistant editor-writer Glenn Greenberg for the Spider-Man Cybercomic. I loved, again, this is really fun because this is like an old artifact of a very different era. And then you have a three-page ad saying, The Avengers, Iron Man, The Fantastic Four, Captain America. Heroes were born to a world not their own, to a history not their own, and memories not their own. A world without Sentinels, a world without mutant onslaughts, a world that up until moments ago had gone unnoticed, and now a world without hope. Mom, Dad, they told me I have to destroy a universe. Promise you won't be mad at me? In October, Heroes Return, a four-issue weekly limited series by award-winning writer Peter David and fan-favorite artist Salvador LaRocca. In November, Fantastic Four number 1 by Scott LaBelle and Alan Davis, Captain America number 1 by Mark Wade and Ron Garney, and in December, Avengers number 1 by Kurt Busiek, and George Perez, and Iron Man number one by Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen, which was a huge deal to me when that ended up happening. So just, I, I love reading old ads and kind of seeing where the comics were going at the time and seeing what they were 
kind of promoting. Um, very cool. And again, it, I forgot to mention it. It looks like issue 425 was my first Amazing Spider-Man at a comic book store direct edition. Um, so it would have been, a, for those in Toronto, uh, the Silver Snail at the old Young and Eglinton location that I think has been closed for, I don't know, probably at least 15 years now. But uh, it used to be there, and it was thriving for a while, and I really enjoyed it. And it was you know, kind of close. It was nice and close. Uh, next up is October's Amazing Spider-Man 427, which which has a, kind of a cool cover. I mean, it's, unfortunately, it's by Scorche, which means Doc Ock has more chin lines than you've ever seen in your entire life. Um, but it's kind of a cool cover. And then when you open it up, um, it has like a, uh, almost like a tight shot of um, Doc Ock's glasses, but now he's looking at Spider-Man pulling off the mask. And also at the, um, the back of the issue... It's like a double page gatefold, uh, not gatefold, but double page cover. No, I guess it's a gatefold because it pulls out. It just has um, someone who doesn't look like Dr. Octopus at all based on the hair. He looks a lot cooler than that. But someone with uh, coming out of Dr. Octopus's grave uh, with the tentacles and everything just saying the doctor is in, uh, which is cool. Uh, so issue 427 is kind of the big kind of um, um, resurrection issue where we get to see Dr. Octopus finally come back to life. Um, so it starts with kind of a, a flashback to Stenner's uh, history. Um, you know, Spider-Man is kind of on the mental mindscape trying to uh, summon up the courage to escape uh, so that his life essence doesn't get given to Otto. And then he's able to escape. Well, then he just runs away from the fight and ends up going up against more uh, true believers as well as Delilah. Well, at the same time, again, more history of Stunner, and Stunner decides to give her life force for Otto because she thinks it's worth it. Um, again, Spider-Man trying to escape from Delilah and getting his ass kicked along the way. Um, and then finally, uh, Doc Ock has returned, and uh, he is, seems pretty pissed, and he's ready to destroy uh, Spider-Man. Unfortunately, he's back in the giant, ill-fitting jumpsuit as opposed to the awesome suit he was wearing when he died because I always loved that look. Um, looking at some of the ads will the 13th issues of Captain America Avengers Iron Man and the Fantastic Four mark the end of the universe discover the truth this September yeah in every trade for Heroes Reborn no one recovers or sorry no one collects issue 13 it is forgotten it was a horrible crossover with Wildstorm that is better left unsaid Um, so yeah it's not a real thing Um, at the time it looks like a, a new Moon Knight book was about to start it was a limited series um, yeah, very cool. So let's move on to November, number 428, as we continue this kind of saga with the Doc Ock, this three-issue saga, which had a lot going on. I mean, I haven't mentioned all the subplots, like the subplots going on with MJ uh, at school. Um, oh, man, that takes me back. I open up issue 428, and the, uh, the interior cover, before you unfold it to get the uh, kind of previously in Amazing Spider-Man, you get uh, a list of what's going on at Disney's Saturday morning. So, I mean, I was, at this point, almost 14. I mean, this came out, not actually November, so probably September 97. So, I was almost 14 years old. So, it's uh, advertising uh, Disney's Recess, Disney's Pepper Ann, and the brand spanking new Doug. And I gotta say, sadly, I watched Doug way back when. And I think about it now, I'm like, that was not a good show, I don't think. Um... So you have the opening to this issue by Steve Scorchet. Again, the artwork is... I mean, it's not bad per se, but sometimes it's just like, really? <clears throat> That's what you make a little girl look like. There's a little girl 
on like I guess a tricycle trying to get away from a falling building as Spider-Man's swinging away from uh, the tentacles and it's the worst little girl ever like if you look at the art it is just absolutely terrible um, yeah it's it's just all bad and, but I mean otherwise it's cool seeing Spider-Man fighting Doc Ock again it's just not the best artist doing it um, and this is important too because we find out that Doc Ock doesn't have all his memories he doesn't know who Spider-Man is anymore which it's kind of like too bad they had to do it, but at the same point, not a big surprise. We also find out that Angelina seems to be in a, in a vegetative state, which she would have basically remain in until um, Superior Spider-Man, which she actually comes back. Uh, Delilah gets attacked by Black Tarantula here, and it's it's kind of stupid. But at the time when you're 13 years old, that's badass. Where he takes a character, shoves her head through a wall. And then is able to carve out a giant tarantula in the wall with the woman's like neck. Um, yeah, she's all kinds of dead. Um, that's not even possible, first of all. It's one of those things that, it's comic books, you know? It seems cool, especially when you're 13 years old. But then you look at it now, you're like, that's stupid. Especially, like, there's this giant outline of, like, a, of a tarantula. And then just his eyes are showing, like, really? Very, like, not that interesting. Uh, we get the first inkling that... Uh, Chesbro is around, so something might be going on uh, with one of the people that M- MJ's been hanging out with. So suddenly, the adventures or discussions she's been having are going to start mattering a little bit more. Um, but yeah, and uh, Delilah gets healed because Black Tarantula has healing powers. Because at the time, he was supposed to be kind of this immortal character, could never die, very kind of uh, badass. And then eventually, uh, when he would be used by Brubaker, really just a street level kind of dude but they really took away a lot of the grandeur that the character originally had when he was first introduced um when we look at the end of this issue uh we've got uh, a list of you know heroes return on sale this november so it kind of has a, a quick uh little uh, sound bites from alan davis and scott labdell talking about ff as well as mark wade and ron garney talking about um captain america because they're about to do that which was which was cool it was the heroes return in the dawn of a new age so that's 428. And then we got 429, which has nothing to do with the last three issues. I remember reading it or, or looking at it the first time. I was like, what? Um, now, what's nice about it, you have Joe Bennett can return. The cover's actually, I believe, by John Romita. Um, I don't think they actually say who does the cover. But if you look at it, it looks pretty John Romita-ish. I'd be absolutely shocked if it wasn't John Romita. I don't see... Oh, Junior, I should say. Um, but the artwork's by Joe Bennett. And it's all about, it's kind of looking at the aftermath of what happened in um, in Amazing Spider-Man, sorry, Spectacular Spider-Man 250, where you had Spider-Man beat the crap out of Norman Osborn, and now he's kind of wanted for it. Um, so, because of what the Thunderbolts have been doing, and this is actually kind of funny, um, Abomination, not Abomination, Absorbing Man and Titania decide that they're going to pretend to be heroes and, um, and, and go after... Uh, Spider-Man to get a reward. Now, it's funny, because if you know anything about the Thunderbolts at this time, the, he, he shows the, uh, Titania a picture of the Thunderbolts and says, you know, these new guys have shown me the way to score a reward, and uh, we, we, we can con them out. You know, we can pretend to be heroes. Which is actually, ironically, exactly what the Thunderbolts themselves were doing. Um, so, you know, again, so a lot, of, and there's a lot of reaction shots of people worried about Spider-Man because of what happened. You have uh, Thunder Girl and Lightning Bolt, who are basically just uh, Absorber Man and um, Titania, 
going up to Osborn and kind of taking on the task to go up after Spider-Man. Spider-Man has kind of a bit of a team up with um, what's it called? Uh, Daredevil, who's nursing an injury at this point. Um, and uh, yeah, and it ends up being Daredevil and Spider-Man versus um, Absorb Man and Titania, which is kind of a cool kind of bit of a team up. Um, I mean, obviously they end up they end up winning. Not a big surprise, but it's also because uh, at one point it looks like Titania might be dead or might be dying, and so Absorb Man like freaks out about it. Uh, again, I always like to show that you know that they are still kind of real people. Uh, Peter's in the doghouse with MJ after this issue, though. Um, but yeah, no, I it a good issue, a good way, solid way to end the year. Considering that the next issue, so again, this would have come out you know October uh, 1997. So I mean, I've just been going on uh, cover dates, but I mean, cover date wise, this is how you end the year. And then the January issue would be something that is both kind of loved because of its audacity and also derided because it's kind of ridiculous. Is uh, Silver Surfer getting bonded with the Carnage symbiote? So that's something to look forward to in issue 430. So if I ever do a year-by-year Amazing Spider-Man look, uh, we'll eventually get there. But I just kind of wanted to go back to this because this was my first year of actually buying Amazing Spider-Man on my own. Um, well, I guess the first issue technically I didn't. But, um, you know, it was it was my kind of entry point into Amazing Spider-Man, and it was exciting, and it was fun, and I still think of it highly. I mean, I, there's so many subplots going on, and... Um, you know, there's mysteries, there's who's the Black Tarantula, like he's kind of like the new Hobgoblinish character. There's a lot of street crime, uh, the resurrection of Doc Ock. Always felt, I was always okay with it because he actually did die and then he, he was resurrected through an arcane ritual by a group that does stuff like that all the time. It's an offshoot of the hand. So I know that we always kind of say, oh, you know, characters die, of course they're going to come back or they're not really dead. No, Doc Ock was dead and Tom DeFalco came up with a good way to weave into his ongoing maybe the whole point of bringing in the true believers was eventually to re- resurrect uh, doc ock who knows but again i like how the true believers were an ongoing threat um black tarantula was coming in like all this stuff was going on it was just kind of a cool era of spider-man um considering how dark the spider-man books had been this still felt fun um you know there's and he's still joking around and again i just like tom defaco he's got a certain classic style to him um so i mean i've I've always kind of enjoyed his take, and that's part of it is because of this first year of reading Amazing Spider-Man myself. So, anyways, I guess that'll be our episode. So thanks for joining me for this flashback to um, the Amazing Spider-Man in 1997. Uh, I am ho- I have been your host, Adam Chapman, and I will continue to be in the future. Uh, you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and post in our HD Realm thread when we finally get around to posting those again. Uh, in the coming weeks, I hope to hopefully finally do an episode looking at Justice League Throne of Atlantis, the recent DC animated movie. Um, As well, I'll probably have a a Heroclix episode coming up in a couple weeks. I think it'll probably be going up um, if I had to guess probably around February 20th. So uh, that'd probably be episode 246, I think. So uh, look forward to that in the upcoming weeks as we'll have a a look at the Trinity War uh, DC Heroclix set as well. So thanks for joining me for this episode and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.